the next two weeks we'll be together in uh, Journey in the Life of Elijah. And uh, so if you have your Bible, uh, open it up to James. James is better than talking about Elijah. He's in the Old Testament, right? He is, but he's mentioned in James. So we're going to look at James chapter 5. And it's going to set the scene for us. But uh, I would like to pray. Just open up in prayer and just ask for God to bless our time today. Sounds good? You guys pray with me? Call up Sarah today, so you guys got to say yes. Yes, I would love to pray with you. Because if I don't say yes, the down, I'm going to feel really guilty at the end of this time. Let's pray. Father God, we are desperate. Even as disciples, say, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. Lord, let us pray with you. Let us know you, because we know only you, but we know your name. We pray that. Change us even today. And allow us to be inspired and transformed and changed by your word, Lord, as we speak forth for a reason, God. So we have a reason. Father, we are you. So, Lord, as we study the scripture, we pray that you will bless this God for your namesake, change it. And Lord, I pray, God, that there will be any here that will be with us. And so, we're searching for truth. And we're hungry for something real. We will meet them here today. So, we just thank you for this morning. Thank you. We pray your word. Okay, well, we're looking at um, the, the broad purpose of this whole time together is going to be focused on our prayer life. And um, in, in James, we're going to see chapter 5 in ways it's all about prayer. That's what we're talking about. But in order to get the full impact of the scripture which James puts out, we're going to have to dive into the life of Elijah. So, anybody study Elijah recently? Oh, good. You study Elijah in a Bible study, and they all come. So they've been paying attention to what they've been saying. And one by one, so she knows that. <laughs> Thanks for that enthusiasm. Love and support. And now my neighbors. These guys moved in right behind us. And so we can look at them and they can look at us. And weird hours of the day and night. And uh, that's a blessing because between us we have six boys. No. <laughs> Why do you respond that way? Boys isn't a bad thing. It's fun. We were dunking all over them yesterday, weren't we? Yeah, baby. Make me feel calm. I'm fine. I was dunking. I wasn't dunking. I couldn't even dunk under here. All right, sorry. Way tangent. But they supported me, so I have to give them props. Okay. So we're going to look at the life of Elijah. Because Elijah is a man. We're going to see James. He says a man, he's a man just like us. He's a person just like us. So James chapter 5, let's start in... Verse 13, we're going to see how our prayer life is affected by studying the life of Elijah. So let's set that up with, uh, with James. He says, If any of among you is suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone of you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess the trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. 
Let's read 17 and 18 again. I will make the Lord the name of the person of the nature of my God. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. I want to read this out of the Amplified Bible, the Living Pictures Bible. Amplified Bible is the, uh, it elaborates on the Greek, the Greek and English. And it says this, it says, Elijah was a human being. The Greek word is anthropos, which is just a, a generic way of just saying a normal person, okay? Created being. Elijah was a human being with a nature such as we have. And that phrase, homo is same or like passions and desires or feelings, affections, and constitution of ourselves. Okay? Elijah had the same feelings, he had the same affections, he had the same desires, he had the same constitution, not just a bodily function, but his constitution, that makes up a hybrid of him as a soul, is the same. So when I, when, I, when I mention the name Elijah, I'm sure those of you who've read anything about Elijah, if you're saying, you're putting those pieces together like me, you're like, James, you gave me a list of things to pray about, a list of situations to pray in, uh, reasons to pray being sick and suffering and having the elders anointed. And it says, Elijah, of all the characters that could have been chosen to talk about prayer, he uses Elijah as an example. And he says more than that. He could have just said, look at Elijah and pray like him. But there's something interesting in James. He says, look at Elijah and remember one thing while you do. The fact is that he is just the same human. Reader of this letter, remember that you're the same as the greatest prophet Israel's ever seen. Because they know Jews at this time are holding Elijah up to the highest level. For good reason. Even us, as we look at Elijah, he shows up not only in Kings, which we're going to be in today, but he's also shown up in the New Testament in the future. So this guy's an old woman, biblically speaking. And James wants us to know that he is just like us. So how many people woke up this morning and thought, man, it's so good to share life and nature with Christ? You kind of find I kind of feel a little silly with that, don't you? Because you think of Elijah the prophet. Um, what comes to mind when you think of Elijah the prophet? Prophecy, definitely. It was a one-on-one. Elijah went toe-to-toe with the best guy in their camp. No, it's 450. 450, God's abandoning, and Elijah, and he's like, let's have a showdown. Not me versus you, but my God versus your God. It's the human What else can we learn? You were dying, exactly. What, is, what happened is you went in a chariot of fire. I want to go that way. How many people would rather do that than the alternative? <laughs> yeah, he, all those things come to mind. But he was a man, he was a person, an anthropologist, just a regular guy. Had the same fears, had the same anxieties, had the same depression, had the same suicidal tendencies, had the same boldness, audacity to excuse God right to his face. And he was just like us. And so hopefully by looking at his life, It'll affect today and next week as we continue the journey of looking at his life. As James would want us to, I believe, to take a look, take a pause, and say, How does the life of Elijah affect me in prayer? And in and, and looking at those things, my prayer is that our prayers would become bigger. 
And what I mean by that is, I'm sure would be something of a more eager expectation for God's wisdom. Uh, I'm used to praying to dinner table with my kids. Sometimes I ask, who wants to pray? And they say, I do. <laughs> and it's just a good person. It's fun to get back to prayer. Prayers that my kids would want to pray, even at this point. Right? I'm talking about prayers that are like, you know, God, can you do a miraculous healing? Can you deliver me from my present circumstances? Can you deliver the people I know from their terrible situation? Those are the things that we need to be praying because Elijah. Elijah was affected. And here it says he prayed earnestly. In other words, there's some effort involved, right? There's some perspiration involved that we don't find so good now, at least I don't come on to see. And yet, if he prayed earnestly, what happened? It didn't rain for three and a half years. Now, that's, that's like, oh, okay, great, nice prayer. But what does rain represent in Elijah's life? Everything. Why? Because they're growing crops. They have animals they need to eat. Right? No rain? None of those. At one point, Ahab, who we look at, the king of Israel, he goes out looking for pasture for some of his animals, just some of them, so that just some of them will survive the drought. He's a king doing that. So you're desperate. If you're a king and you're out there looking for pasture, you're not sending some guy, some servant, hey, you, come go look for something. He's not trusting anybody else. He's like, I'm going to find this grass for at least some of my cattle or else I'll toast. And if I have to do it, I will, and he does. So we're talking desperate times, okay? And Elijah's in this thing. So, a little bit of feedback. But you can start by turning to 1 Kings. So look at Elijah and go to the book of Kings. Yet, a lot of the second book of Kings makes up what used to be one book of Kings. Number one, uh, it talks about the kings of Israel, being the United Israel, and it talks about the division of the kingdom. Everybody know that Israel went through a civil war, went through the divided kingdom, and ended up with two. So it's Israel the north, and Judah the south. And this is the scene that Elijah comes in on. So let's talk about some background real quick. So we're having post-civil wars, that is the time. The, the, the way I remember Israel and Judah, I'm going to share this with you. Israel the north, Judah the south. So you don't get those confused. Think of uh, Judah and Jerusalem, both sides of the Jay, they're in the south. You know, you know, looking at the map like Israel to the north doesn't start with Israel. That's how you know it. Also, um, in the spiritual sense, I, there's no connection with this. So just remember, I is the wicked. You think wicked king, you think I have been wicked is Israel. Never had a righteous king, ever. So that's a lot to remember. You can use it if you want, it's free. Um, Judah, to the south, has all of it. And that's, I'm just pulling your leg. I have no memory of the Bible for Judah, although they had some righteous kings. Those were some good guys in that group. There were some not so good guys, but most of them were good. Guys like uh, Jehoshaphat and uh, named, uh, King Asa, who get the temple of May, great. Um, you know, some other guys. But Israel, no one. And guess where Elijah's from? North and south. In the north. In the prophet of God. In the midst of the wicked people that are roaming around the He's not with a weak, he's not a good king. Um, why was Ahab so bad? Ahab was really bad because he is a leader of God's people, said, I'm not going to lead him to God, the living true God, Jehovah God, I'm going to lead him to this other God, Baal. 
Baal, if you guys know your Old Testament, it oftentimes says Baal as in plural. And that's a, that's, that's a reason because a lot of the Baal worship was basically localized to a particular region. And depending on what region you were in, you would have uh, uh, kind of a little skew on what you were asking Baal for. Um, Baal would be some sort of connection with worship of nature. Baal controlled the following rain, okay, there's a connection there to address the situation, uh, lightning, thunder, fire, fertility, um, production of the land, the produce, and the crop of others. That was all connected to Baal. So, so maybe one area of the land in the north would worship, in particular the northwest coast, being the land of the Phoenicians. Phoenicians were kind of left over from the Canaanites. You guys remember the Israelites came in the land of, of fruit and uh, land of milk and honey? Well, they, they found these people called the Canaanites. Well, at this point, they're all kind of shoved up in the north here, lodging them, etc. In this area called Phoenicia. I'll show you a map in a little bit here, but basically, just to give you an idea, that's where Jezebel, his wife, is from. Everybody really love the character Jezebel in here? Everybody name their mother, at least thought about it? You know, Jezebel sounds like a nice ring, but last name? No, no one says that. She was ridiculously wicked. And she actually um, married the king of Israel. Well, who did she worship? Who does this whole region of the, of the Phoenicians worship? They all. They all everywhere. And now Abraham is going to take in this command or government, little g, to Israel and say, hey, don't worry about the whole guy. We got a better one right here. More practical, much more uh, in touch with our lives because we're talking about rain and we need fire and all that kind of stuff. So that's what's happening. That worship involves prostitution. Prostitution is uh, kind of an orgy type worship food and even child sacrifice. Heavy duty wickedness. And for some reason, they have, um, I, I know a lot of it was passed down to the dead on me. Not only that, but Jezebel comes in the scene and she's like, I'm not going to just tolerate, that's a big word in our culture, toleration, right? Whatever you believe, whatever you believe. And this day it was, if you don't believe in Baal, in fact, she systematically schemed kill absolutely anyone, especially the prophets of the Holy Ghost. So it wasn't just like this, hey, you know, we're all cool. It was, if you don't believe in Baal, you're coming, you're dead. Especially, First in line of that deadline would be the prophet. And she does. She starts eliminating them. She starts killing them. To the point where some Jews, kind of like the Holocaust, in a sense, were hiding people in caves just to get them to survive this, this onslaught by this thing Jezebel. Who ate that man? Okay? So, Elijah, the greatest prophet, comes out of seemingly nowhere. And the end of chapter 16 is where we're going to start. And he's getting a big call from God. I mean, it, it, there's no, no two ways about it. Elijah has a big call. He's going to call the people through the leaders of the whole nation, Ahab, back to Jehovah worship. worship. And if you're going to do that in this day and age, you're basically saying, God, I'm willing to die. I'm willing to die for you. Because you don't go toe-to-toe with a wicked king like this. You can marry a wicked king like Jezebel without risk to your very own life. And at most, the whole nation of Israel. So he said, "Good call." So that's why we're going to 
just by studying the relationship, just by studying him and his life. I don't want you to walk out of here thinking, this is the perfect guy and never be like him. We're going to see in these two weeks, I believe, a very human Elijah with a lot of both the and the okay? Both the highs and the lows. But, but all the while, as we talk about these, these, these stories, I want you to, in your mind, in your heart, apply it to prayer. Apply it to your prayer life. Because Elijah's demand, just like us, he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it did for three and a half years. So as we look at these different things, I want you to experience it really through his eyes and, and, and bring a connection with your own prayer life. What is that? How are you doing? Are you even spending time? Is that a priority to you? How do you see that come forth in your life? Dad, are you leading your wives in prayer? Are you leading your kids in prayer? Moms, are you leading your kids husband in prayer? Are you going to the Lord in your life as a single person, giving all your life to Him, even though there's obstacles as great as mine are going to be? So that's the connection I want to do in the conclusion. So, so the last part of verse 16, or chapter 16, rather, verse 29, I believe so. And the last one goes all the way through a number of chapters, but we're going to basically focus in the next two weeks between the end of 16 and 19. And we're going to get through 17 today, I think. But in verse 29, we're introduced to Ahab. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, this is chapter 16. Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel. Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing. It's a trivial thing. How do you see nothing yet? For him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. That's the first Israelite king. When they had civil war, Jeroboam was in the north, and he was wicked. He took the guys, he took the, the country for the first time away from Jehovah's God. He's like, if there was a trivial thing for him to be like Jeroboam, he took his wife Jezebel and daughter of Ephraim. Obviously, she had a bad reputation already. He's like, I'm going to look around and find one that would really appease everyone who is even paying in my mutilated level of attention what I'm going to do. I'm going to Jezebel. I'm going to the daughter of the king of Sidonia. Sidonians were actually, a lot of the timber used in the temple, they came from ships from Phoenicia that died there, massive timber guys. And, but the king at this point says, I'm the daughter. And Ahab's like, man, you got to go on and you hurt in all the wrong ways. Okay? He's like, if there's a trivial thing for him to walk in sinfulness, basically, he takes Jezebel, he brings the enemy, the satanic influence, right into his own kingdom, right into his own home, King of the Sidonians, daughter of Ephraim. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then, get this, verse 32, he set up an altar for Baal in the temple down, which he had built to marry. So not only is Ahab saying, yeah, I embrace this religion, this false god, even with the wickedness that comes with it, I'm going to do everyone a favor by setting up an altar and a temple for that altar for everybody to worship. So, in the eyes of God, how angry is God getting to? Yeah, God's anger is increasing. Now, God in the Bible says God is slow to anger. But if you want to make that flow a little bit faster, you lead people away from Him and go something empty and actually wicked. Boy, you're His temper. I can just see the thermometer of God, if you will. And this is not a biblical term by any means. Don't call me a heretic. But I'm just saying, if you need a visual, it's, it's hot. 
okay, temperature is about to break. The mercury is going to die. Why? Because he cares so much that you would know the truth. Everyone would know the truth about himself. That he would go and die for us. Not so he could say, oh, that's really true. I'll choose that one. But that he would have the awe and reverence and worship that he deserves anyway. Forever and ever and ever by all these. So if you're leading anyone astray, especially his people that claim to know him, away from him, that's bad. That is the wrath of God. And it is no different. So, chapter 17, God put the bug in the ear of Elijah his servant. And it says, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab. Now somehow he gets audience to the king, goes up to him, this is the message. As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there should be not dew nor rain these years except at my word. Bold, huh? That's bold. He's going to ride up to the store and say this. He's not just saying that, that it's not going to rain. He's not just saying, hey, I've got control of this stuff. You want to serve, serve me. He's not saying this. What is he really saying here to the king? He's saying, you have been deceptive. Everything is expected. So you're not going to be able to do it. In other words, God saves your country. And it's all because God says, I'm standing before you, the one true God is sent me to tell you. So that you'll respond to what you're doing. And do you do that lightly with the king? Like in any moment, just say, kill him and just kill him. You go in there haphazardly and say, well, I think God told me this, and that's really true. As a side note to that, guys, I just encourage you with one thing really practical that I would really, really encourage everyone in, in, in that I think it become, it can become um, an easy thing for us to speak for God and to say, God told me this, God told me that, or God told me this about me, and those things. Now, prophecy is real. I totally believe in it. The New Testament thing, the World Wide Testament thing, I understand all those things. But I think when we get so used to saying God said this, God said that, that it becomes almost trivial, it can become trivial. And I want to see us go back a little bit more, a lot more, actually, into the reverential thing that I'm not really sure God may have said this unless you are sure. Okay? As if you were going before King Ahab and not just your friend. Does that make sense? We got we got to up the ante of importance in this regard because I feel like, in many ways, it's well you can't argue with someone that said you can't say I don't really agree with that scripturally I don't really agree with that in, in, in terms of a good decision you can't say any of that if somebody says well, God told me to do this we're all supposed to open ourselves up to each other for counsel right and try to make counsel as much wisdom. And I think when we, when we go and we plow through something, it's simply because we say, well, God told me, we tend to be sure. We tend to be sure. So that leaves open the possibility, right, that God can speak to people, and I believe he does, in still small voice. And Elijah heard it, but Elijah was sure. And if you're not willing to go to the, to the place where you're saying, if I'm wrong, I'll die for it. I think we should have some more reverence for that. Does that, does that make sense? Please, we'll all benefit from that. Because when you hear someone say, we tend to say, God said this, God said that, God did this. And I'm like, I'm left there thinking, how come I don't hear God telling me what to do? 
you know, it can become so trivial. It's like, why would I even But that's just, that's just trying to get us the other direction. I'm not discounting any of us that, that say that, right? Let's take a lesson from from the life. Good word this morning. Okay? That's your thing. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Get away from here, turn eastward, and hide by the brook Chip, which flows near the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Chip, which flows near the Jordan. The ravens brought bread and meat in the morning, and bread meat in the evening, and drank from the Jordan. On the the man. Um, uh, we just jump ahead a little bit to the map where it talks about walking and more walking. Now, when you serve God, sometimes you have to actually extend physical exertion. <laughs> Elijah is definitely an example of that. Look how far this guy had to walk. That's just a he figure hundreds of miles, at least, in the middle of the drought season. Now, that's the worst time to walk for me, right? Um, he did get a free trip to heaven, though, on a, on a, on a chariot. So it's kind of like God's like, hey, you know, you walked a lot, let's give you a free ride because it's a long way to heaven. But he's going big and zagging across the countryside, up, down, left, right, all over the place, hundreds of miles. One example is when he goes to the brook, God tells him to go to a widow, which we're going to read about in just a sec. That's like 90 miles. It's like saying, in the middle of the drought, hey, I got an idea, everybody. We're going to stop church right now. We're all going to walk to Santa Barbara. But you're not allowed to have any water. And I know you haven't had anything to drink for a couple of days, a couple of weeks. But we're going to go. I guess I'm going to take a couple of days. And we're going to walk to Santa Barbara. And he's like, hey, great. Sign me up. That was his one trip a day. He's going 90 miles across the coast. And he does it. But why does he have some boldness? He has some faith there. And it's causing him to act. Just an example. So as we're reading about different uh, journeys, appreciate that aspect, but there was physical exertion. And he says, uh, Elijah, God says, the ravens are going to feed you. The ravens are going to feed you. In this place to the east, so it'll be northeast. He's taken off from Samaria. He's going to go high. God tells the prophet to hide. That's kind of interesting. It's not like, you know, I'm going to be a shield and everything. Don't worry. Wherever you go, you have this protective barrier. He's like, no, it's time to go. Because I'm going to do some other things while you're hiding. But don't despair, you're going to have a brook to drink from. Now that sounds like pretty cool until you realize what he's really saying is you're going to get your meat and your, and, uh, and your bread from ravens. That's cool and everything. You know, it's kind of weird. But get this you're not going to go to a reservoir or a lake, fresh water, endless supply of life. He's saying going to a brook. What's the first thing to dry up in a, in a drought? The brook. What kind of water do you get from the brook when it starts drying up? Just stagnant, little pool here and there. And, and it says he's watching it. He's watching it. In verse 7, after a while, the brook dried up because there's been no rain. So here's prophecy the king is, hey, there's going to be a drought. You're going to suffer. The people are going to suffer. Guess what? He's part of that suffering. And he's going to a place where he's going to see his supply, his life supply, dwindle to a point where it's all gone. And there's an urgency in Elijah's heart and mind, right? He's just like that, and your water supply is going down, and you don't have a local market to go get a couple bottles to tide you over. What are you thinking at this point? God, you got some fruit in this. I'm totally dependent. You get birds bring you food, that's great, but I can't survive very long with no water. And yet, God takes you on place. Going back 
connected in our prayer life. Many of us and our friends and families in those in this country, what's happening in life? What's happening in life? Probably look like there's going to be a drought, and guess what? A lot of growth is going to be dried up right before people go. Where the sustenance is getting less and less, and you're watching the saving account go down, and you're watching these different trials come to your life, and like, Lord, I'm not, I'm your, I'm your child. I'm not supposed to be the one that suffers. I'm not supposed to get my teeth clipped. I'm not supposed to uh, have this difficulty in my life. I'm supposed to be taking care of you. And sometimes you can do it miraculously with ravens. I understand that, but why is it happening? You're just like the one. You're just like you. He was asking the same question. We don't see him underneath an umbrella sipping out of a coconut. Just going, this project stuff is easy. You know, he's out there suffering. And, and Christians are not immune from that. Anything, we're, we're, there's plenty more that came from. But the point is, what do you do in your prayer life? You see those resources there to the point of being God. You know, I would, I would say, it was encouraged to everyone else. We should be the people saying to everyone else who has a problem with who's in the midst of a drought. There's a great time to look to God. A great time to actually start your prayer. A great time to offer your uncertainty in your future as you see things drying up to the God who loves you, the God who died for you, the God who won't leave you hanging in, in, in the end of the life. That's like such a privilege to be able to do that and learn that for your It's not like God shields you from the suffering. As long as it happens to everybody else, it's fine. As long as I'm okay and I got the saving grace and I've done my job, then I'm cool. But when we lose it, we start to panic. Because all of a sudden, it's a lot more personal, isn't it? But he called Elijah the same thing. He didn't call Elijah to give a prophecy and then kind of skirt the effects of it. He called Elijah to give the prophecy and guess what, Elijah? You're my, you're my son. I love you. But you're going to be in the midst of this too. And not only that, guess what? That's not all. He just doesn't get to say this. He's like, read on. Next verse. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, now this is when the water's down. Mind you, okay? He says, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Simon. That's the center of Baal worship now. He's like, I want you to go there and dwell there. She has commanded a widow there to provide for you. So now, now he went from widows, or from ravens rather, he's going to go across 90 miles over to Zarephath in the middle of this pagan worship. And he's like, Dad, I'm going to send you a widow to take care of you. That's kind of odd, isn't it? Spend one moment thinking of that, and it's odd. It's odd, and then it's odd, right? Because you've got ravens. I don't know, did he pull his hand out? They drop it, or they land on his shoulder, feed him with a beak, or whatever. I don't know. I mean, I just ask these questions. Am I alone? Um, but then he's like, okay, it's time to leave. Your resources are gone. It's hard water. I know it's a long journey. I'm going to sustain you. You might be saying the same thing all about Back to the first period. Don't worry. Don't worry. God knows that you need that. He'll take care of you, but it's still time to serve. That time to just stay and just blow his name. And what happens when we serve, guys? What happens when we press out of our suffering into service is that we remember that life's not all about us, that other people are worse off than we are, that we actually have a view that says, I'm still others focused first before me. That's very important. Very important to pray Why? Because you're going to God saying, Lord, I'm just thankful for what I have. Using it in a way that glorifies you and other people's lives that are hard for us to You get the impression that it's very appropriate for us to read this passage. 
I mean, it's like, wow, let me think for a moment. Is there anybody that can relate to this? And it's right there, not a little bit of So it goes to this widow. Who's the first person to suffer again in a dress? Widow. Why? They're dependent on other people to provide them. They are the uh, non-profits, if you will, of this day. Okay? Uh, how many abundance people give, but when it says that you don't have anything to give, they're the first ones that people depend on that to suffer. And it was like this for the widow. And so he rose, he goes to their fast, in obedience to God. I'm sure he's praying, God, just sustain me for this journey. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but please just, just make it happen somehow. So he gets there. He arrives there safely. He says, when he came to the gate of the city, very fast, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. I'm sure he was really sad at that point. And as he was going to get it, in the midst of her responding to his request, he interrupts that response and says this, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So it's kind of an insult right there. At that point, it's like, okay, you're asking for water, and now you're asking me for bread too, while I'm going to go get you some water. Well, if you only knew the story, and she doesn't hesitate, she gives you the story of why that's so important. Verse 12. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I don't have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son, that we may eat of it and die. So, she's making it happen. How do people look when they try to do that? If you're alive and looking at this lady, God told you, we're going to supply what you need. Don't worry, just go ask for it. Can you imagine being alive there? Calling to ask a starving to death woman who you know is providing what little she has anyways for herself and her son? And probably has indication of dire circumstances if you're starving. And she's like, I'm, I'm at death's door. I'm just making this last minute for me and my son, and then and we're going to go down. I think it'd be like going to, uh, you know, up with a homeless living in the street. There's some camps in, around the city, and you could go out there. Can you imagine go out there and say, hey, do you have any money you can let me have? As just a single male just going out there, like my age or something. Can you imagine, hey, will you, will you, if you go to the store right now, bring me back something to eat, will you? It's insulting, isn't it? For the recipient as well as the giver, but God has given him a message and he was obedient even when he was confused about it. I don't think for a minute Elijah was like, okay. I think it would help to be fed by Raven. You know, I'm just a you can do whatever. But there's still an element of faith that was required by him to actually do what seemed holy to do. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterwards, make some for yourself and your son. Be happy to hear from God, didn't you? For thus said the Lord of God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. And it's easy to say something when you're confident the Lord has spoken. And it's great. If you're not sure, don't say it. If you're not willing to suffer the consequences of your wrong, don't say it. 
But if you're confident and you feel the word of God, you can be bold and know God's going to show up. If you speak His word in your situation, just be confident that you're faithful to His name. Doesn't mean we're just kind of like ordering God around. That's where people go around, don't they? That's not a looking boy that you just order a service now. This is what I want today, God. I prayed in faith. You promised. So where, you know, I expect to deliver. I expect to provision. I don't like that. Sometimes people don't. Sometimes people don't. Even in the action. Stop the faith. Just believe it. And somebody is in that person. But here he's really bold. He's like, don't worry. Just watch the man. And the miracle is, I think, is he believed it. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her whole house, household ate for many days. The bed of flour was not used up, nor was a jar of oil and bread, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Now, I just want to remind you, as we're, as we're, as we're connecting this to prayer, how many times we're told in just these few verses of what God's in control of. Let's just take a look. Verse 1, he's control of the rain, or even the moisture. Okay, so God's in control of the provision of the weather. Verse 3, he's, he's in control of where his servants go and, and, and speak to them. Get away from him, turn eastward and hide. He's going to give them provision by a brook. Um, he's in authority over the ravens, the birds. He's in control. Look at verse 9. It says, See, I've commanded the widow that it's there to provide for you. He's a non-believing woman. He's going to use according to his will. Um, down to verse 12, as the Lord your God lives, oh, I'm sorry, not verse 12, uh, verse 16, the bale flower is not used up, nor is the jar of oil dry. He has authority over the actual provision given. And here he's saying, Elijah's like, you know what? I just know one thing, God's in control of all things. I don't know what's going on. He's all, sit down a little, let me tell you a story where I just won. <laughs> you think this is weird? I was just fed by birds. Okay? And I can you we know the rest of the story. We know some great things are going to happen, like chariots of fire, like Matt Carmel is going to kill the prophet. But Elijah doesn't know that yet. This widow doesn't know that yet. It's still a walk of faith, isn't it? And this is the journey that we take our faith. Now, look at this. This is when things go from here to confusion. That happened after these things that the son woman who owned the house became sick. So after the provision came, he becomes sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So he said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, my dear friend? Have you come to me to bring my thunder in my midst and kill my son? See what he's doing? And Elijah was provided a temporary fix. The seven things went down. So their son died, totally unrelated to salvation. And Elijah stripped him, and she's accusing him. Of killing your son. Not only that, she, she's saying basically, you came here to rub things in my face, to toy with me. You came here to rub my sin in my face. And the and reason that you came is because I know I'm a sinner, and the consequence of my sin is for you to bring it in my face and kill my son. So there's an awareness of her own sin. But she's saying, Elijah, you came just to toy with me, ultimately to bring what consequences there is to my sin. Have you guys ever been accused of something that wasn't true in your service? How does that affect your response to the that happened to you? Be faithful. Let's 
doctor. Are you just like Elijah? I'm still alive. And he said to her, Give me a son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him up on his own bed. And then he cried out to the Lord and said, Here's his prayer. O Lord my God, you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son. What did he do? He blamed his feet. It's like she did. Only the relationship that he has with God has never turned to Jesus here. And he said, God, you did this. You're messing with me. You brought great despair in this household after you did a miracle. What kind of sick game is this? He's basically saying, God, you killed your son. Now, I'm not saying you pray like that. But it does say something about a heart, doesn't it? That it's okay. Elijah the prophet, understand, Elijah the prophet is the one speaking to him. The one who shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Jesus when he's transfigured. Remember that scene? He's just talking to Moses, hanging out, and Peter's like, This is great for you, Jesus. I'm going to make a, a, a tabernacle for you and for Moses and Elijah. Recognize, he recognizes them, guys. And he's saying, he says, as he writes the book later, he says, Elijah's just like you. Did he think for a moment when he saw him transfigured, Elijah, you're the one who blamed God for killing that little son. That's Elijah. I mean, I'm just throwing this out as this conjecture. Let's get our minds around this a little bit. Elijah is not perfect. He wasn't this untouchable guy that didn't ever make mistakes in his obedience with God. And so, therefore, his prayers were heard. He was a fallible guy, and he went toe to toe with God, saying, God, this, this is your future. I want to this world. So I can watch you for the body of your Just so you can feed this woman. Just so you can prolong inevitable anyway from some unrelated thing that he would die anyway. Okay. What, what, what did I sign up for here? So a couple things you learn from this. One, it's okay to be confused when God works. You hear that? When you're praying for something and God doesn't give you the answer that you want, it's okay to be confused. You know who else prayed like this? Honestly? Is it that God is your own act? Jesus. It was in God of the He was looking forward to see the most horrific death known to man. And he said, Father, if there be any way to cut the path in this, would be any other way. And then, of course, you know, my favorite, and probably the members of the The reality is, here's my desire. I would love to see my answered prayer, but nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. That's how you pray. You pray honestly. And you pray, ultimately, God, you do what you want to do because you're good and faithful. And that's what I'm doing. He's sitting here with a dead kid, puts him on his bed, and basically left him the same place. Confused, frustrated, angry, and literally going toe-to-toe with his God and God, what in the world are you doing? And he doesn't ask him. He lays on the kid, he cries out three times, and the soul comes back to Look at his response. Verse 22, the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, his prayer, and the soul of the child came back to him and said, See, your son lives. I think Elijah was telling himself, See, as much as believing. Wow. He was Elijah. 
kind of a roller coaster emotion. Get the idea? Elijah, I think, is just looking at the sun up and down, like, I cannot believe what's going on. I have one life, and this is what I'm looking at. And now it's just another way that God's going to do And see, very interesting. God has good things for you. God's kind of things. So you can be thoroughly devoted, wholeheartedly going through droughts, walking miles upon miles to serve a living God, and still come up frustrated, upset, and still actually not know the whole story of what you come out and say, oh, okay. You want to be a You're not always going to find that out. It's a one time thing. You have to receive good things. So then, so to tell the living God, He knows much more than we ever do. You know, the Bible basically puts it pretty clear. When you pray, don't pray like you know everything. Why? Because the ways are higher than your ways, and the gospel is higher than your gospel. So just pray like the person you want. A sheep that's dependent on God for provision, dependent on God. Go with one who can be honest in your prayers. When it's safe, tell him, God, I'm not trusting you. understand. Guess what? He even knew before you came and said that to him, what you felt like. Don't try and put on this religious hat or this religious faith and kind of prayer that comes out something like, you know, God, Lord, know us the heavens and the earth. God, thank us for the suffering we've bestowed upon your servant this very day. Just be honest and say, God, this, this is just not good. I don't know how to do that. And he'll respond. And sometimes he'll respond in other ways. So, 24, what's the end result of all this? Well, we're going to close with this. Is Elijah seeing his prayers in the seeing this boy being brought back to life. By the way, this is the first time in the Bible resurrection is recorded. So he hadn't had a predecessor with this. He had no idea this was coming, right? Hadn't seen it before. And it says, by this I know that you are a man of God, she said, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Praise God. But that is the that is a whole crazy thing. And you know what, guys? Really, that's what our prayers are all about. That God would be seen, ultimately, His answering those prayers, that God would be seen as most glorified, most praiseable, most faithful God that He is. That He is the truth. In light of a whole lot of people trying to say, this is something I love. And I would say, as we would pray, how big are our prayers? What was the last time we went to a place of desperation of God and said, God, would you do the last? A lot of times it's when we're at our own, own place of desperation, right? When what happens to us, when it becomes real, when we're the ones suffering, that's when we turn our prayer, you know, our, our burners away up. We're like, I'm fervent in prayer today. Why? Well, I'm suffering tremendously. How about, how about we not wait for that time and ask for big things from God? How about we, we ask to serve in that suffering? How about we actually say, God, I'm just like Elijah. I don't know what's up, what's down. All I know is I want to serve you and be faithful and pray for your life, for your life. Now, guys, this, next week we're going to look at more of Elijah. And guess what? This guy goes to the depth of depression to the point where he wants to commit suicide. So again, I would close with this scripture. Elijah was a human being with a nature as we have, with the same and like passions, with feelings, affections, and a constitution as ourselves. We prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. We prayed that it would rain again.
Is anybody inspired to try and say a little bit bigger in terms of, of prayer? For your unsaved family and friends that are rejecting God to this day, there's no hope. For those who are suffering for drought, like a recession, to all of us that are suffering with us, can you pray a little bit bigger? It doesn't mean you're going to get what you want. Not the message today. The message is God is faithful to do a will doesn't make Moment to moment, you aren't going to see necessarily the whole picture coming together as he wills it. But by and large, when you get to heaven, you're going to see a beautiful mosaic that he intertwines for your well being, yeah, but more importantly, for his glory, for his truth to be found in your mouth. Amen? We pray big together. You guys, we have communion today. And actually, if you're looking at a resurrection to be glory in, what better one than Jesus is? That actually the death was so important and vital. It wasn't just that he rose from the but how he, the Son of God himself, would die for unbelieving people. The imperfect, the times when you're actually saying like Elijah, what in the world, Jesus? What in the world, God? What is it? Might be your thoughts. Those moments he forgives us when we don't have the full picture. When we don't pray the right thing. He died because we sinned. He died because he loves us. And he died so that we could know him and be forgiven of that sin so we could be with him in perfect communion and fellowship for all time and What a great miracle of God's presence. So let's all stand together. And you are welcome to come and partake of tracks and some juice. And um, basically, if, if you're new here, we do this once a month. Really, just commemorating um, the miracle that was Jesus' death on our behalf, so that we could be forgiven of our sins, and He would be proven faithful as a perfect, obedient Son, which we're not. We don't even compare. We don't come close to. And um, but we're celebrating a perfect Savior that was obedient in every way, never questioned. Always said, "Not my will, but Your will be done." And so, if you're here and you have not yet actually really willfully lay down your life and, and give it to God and say, Jesus, I want, I want to live for you. I want to be forgiven. I want to, be, I want to receive which the communion table represents and that is your finished work on the cross so I can be forgiven. If you haven't received that as if you had a present in front of you and it wasn't unwrapped and it had your name on it and it's called salvation and freedom from the trappings which is life without God. Living for yourself. All that that's just freedom from all of that, the hope of eternal life, all that's just happened, and it has never actually taken upon itself and said, This is my gift to you. Then the communion table is closed today. It's closed. It's not for the person that hasn't received it. It's actually a celebration of us having the opportunity to open that gift of God, from God Himself, and say, God, I embrace what you've done for me. And so it's a pleasure, it's a blessing for us as, a, as Christians to come and partake of this table. The good news is, even if you came and you've never actually done that, today can be that day where you say, Lord, I would love, I would love more than anything to be forgiven of the sins that I know I've done, that you've seen, that you're aware I want to come and celebrate the sacrifice because I know that love that was shed was shed for me too, and I want to receive that gift. I want to unroll, unopen that, I want to open that package with you and receive it as my own. So if you're, if you came with guests or you just, you know, in your heart, and you're not a Christian, I would say the table is only open.
if we were to say, I need Jesus today. So I'm going to pray, we're going to pray together. And we ask you to pray, if you want that gift of salvation to come to you, would God just see in your prayer space that I would encourage you to do that? Father God, we just thank you that you have welcomed us to a table that represents your finished work in the cross, that represents the blood that was spilled so that you would be able to forgive the Elijahs and all of us for the sin that's in our hearts, the pride that's in our hearts, and, and the things that we choose to do that are not according to your perfect will. Most of all, Lord, not giving you the, the praise that to a, a righteous and holy God. Living for suffering. We, we desire for that blood to, to cleanse us even fresh today. Symbolizes you gave us the last supper, Lord, that, that these elements in which to be reminded of that. Lord, check our hearts. Examine our hearts. Examine our lack of faith in you and, and transform us, God, and, and breathe us anew, a fresh pouring of your spirit that would be in us uh, more faith, more, more expectancy for you to do the miraculous, for us to take a, a place right by Elijah and be able to talk and exchange stories in heaven one day of, of how you answered prayer that only you could do. And Lord, I pray if there be anybody here right now that wants your love, that wants to know that they're forgiven of their sin, I pray that you would free them today to do that, that you would open their eyes, God, that they would see clearly your love even right now. So if, if, if that's you, I would just open it up right now in this moment, knowing that if you're in a place that God has brought you, He's brought you to this place where you are ready to give your life to Him. That's something you know before God. And I would just, I would just pause and just say, if that is you, you would like prayer, if you would like to come to the communion table, where the communion actually has that meaning of this is something I partake of. This is my expression of faith in Jesus' death and cross. And I would just say, if that's you, as we pray, that you can just lift up your hand wherever you are. The only thing I'm going to do in response to that is just to pray for you to have great blessing as you walk into the future. Perhaps the first time. So if that's anyone here, just right now, and you want Jesus in your life to control your life, go ahead and raise your hand. Let us pray for you. Anyone at all? Praise the Lord. I see you right there. Let us pray for you. Whatever. Right now is the time where God is calling you to say, I believe in your finished work and God. I believe in that miracle. Anyone Praise God, I see you It's a holy moment. This is passing from death to life. God speaks it and he says, I'm cleansing it through the finished work. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? We lift up these two precious people that you know everything about, even right now as a community of faith. And just thank you for how you've been working in their lives to such a degree where you could take them here, there, and everywhere, just like Elijah went to that widow in that small town where you knew she needed to know about you, and you've been doing that in these lives. And I trust them to you, God. We trust them to you. Just knowing how different life is for all of us that have done that before, where you have transformed even the ways that we think about life. 
and the motives that we have in our heart, they start changing. Look, we're so excited for that to happen in their life as you come and pay them. And I pray, Lord, as they bring their sin to you, even today, that you would forgive them as you promised to do. Lord, you said for God so possible that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever would believe in you would not perish but have everlasting life. So, Lord, we trust that that be true for them as you've given them faith, that they would walk in that faith and know that the communion table is open to them to celebrate the finished work on the cross that you've done in their behalf. For all of us, we just ask for bigger faith. God, just answer prayers, God, that would bring glory to your name ultimately. If we're in the midst of suffering, meet us. If we're sick, meet us. If we're confused, Lord, meet us. If we if we just haven't said thank you for the sacrifice lately, meet us. So commit those people in your hand, we put all of us in your hand, and just worship you as a king.